Welcome back to another episode of The Set Position. My name is Cole Orner, along with my co-host, Zach Kruger. Um, we do have a special guest on with us today, and I will go ahead and let him introduce himself. Uh, he was telling us off air, he's been in and around many different states, so I will go ahead and let him introduce himself. Good evening. Thank you for having me. Uh, my name is Ali Simmons. I'm the assistant at Season Hall University in the Big East, and I currently reside in New Jersey. Very nice. And you said you've been to about 15 different states now? Yeah, maybe more. I, uh, I've been more. lucky enough to have college jobs in three of them. Uh, and then when I used to work for some different organizations, there was a lot of traveling in the summers up and down the east and west coast. So I've pretty much done the east and west coast. Nice. Very nice. And where did you, where are you originally from? Obviously not from the States. South so where Southampton, nice. where the Titanic left. Uh, if you're from <laughs> Southampton, you know that fun fact. It's the last place before, uh, before the disaster, I should say. <laughs> yeah, yeah, ultimately, right? But uh, yeah. that's our claim to fame. Craig David and Matthew Letizia. It's the only thing you really need to know about Southampton. <laughs> All right. Hey, there, Southampton's not bad. The team itself, it's getting better. Yeah, we sell some very good players. Yeah. It's, it's just a tough pill to swallow when your best players and your best managers leave every year. As yes. long as we stay up, it starts June 19th, we're back. As long as we stay up, I'm happy. As long as we're on match of the day, Premier or Premier League to watch you, that's, that's good enough for me. My bar is very low when it comes to that. Championships, no way. Top half of the table, I don't care. Just, just stay in the league for as long as possible. Stay out of relegation, right? Exactly. Your bar seems to be higher for the college I'm that you work in. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, a little bit, fortunately. I had a bit of good fortune on that one. Yeah. <laughs> I, hey, you were talking about the Premier League coming back. I'm excited. I'm excited. I'm looking forward to it starting back up. And it's, it's good to see that through all this stuff, there is some bright things starting to happen and we're starting to get sports back. Yeah, 100%. I mean, I was lucky enough to interview a former player that I coached um, yesterday for my uh, – actually for my mom's my, – uh, and he's, he plays for Wolves, um, and he said like they're getting tested four times a week. Like they're doing everything they can to bring sports back. Wow. In. Like the players are wow. excited. I know it's individual cases, but yeah, they're very excited to get going. Um, yeah. We all are, right? It's something. There's <laughs> never been a more convenient time to be at home when you want something to watch. And then the, the thing that a lot of us, especially us, that have in common, and we want to watch when we get home is sports. And then there's not sports. And you're like, okay, well, Netflix has only got so much to <laughs> offer. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, very true. Very true. So you were at Charleston, right? How long were you at Charleston for? Six months. And you won a national championship there. So that was uh, quite the six months. Yeah, they did. I, I can't profess to have a lot to All right. do. They, they won a national championship while you were there. But still, I, th I would say that you had something to do with that as, as a member of the coaching staff. It was a wonderful thing to be part of. It really was. Uh, I got to learn from the best. Uh, I got to work with one of, one of well, yeah, three of my best friends. I mean, Daniel Smee, who's now the head coach at University of Charleston. Dan Stratford, who is now the head coach at WVU. And Scott Wells, who is the assistant at University of Greensboro. And godfather to his little girl, Harley. So we were a very, very close-knit group. Um, yeah, and just learning from Strats was an absolute pleasure. I consider him a mentor and a good friend. And I'm very fortunate to have him around. And um, yeah, it was a fantastic year, a, f a fantastic, fantastic, fantastic six months, I should yeah. say. Yeah, you can't really beat that, can you? 
come in six months and then no we were we were 16 and oh and i was like this is all right this i can get used <laughs> to this this is pretty cool <laughs> what what year was that 2017 2017 yeah okay. that was two years after there. i well they yeah. lost they lost in the final in 2016 yeah. to win um i think they've been in four of the last five final fours which is, as you know, is an unbelievable yeah. achievement. Like just the consistency alone is just breathtaking, and it, and I think it shows, it shows what a great program it is, right? Like Chris Grassy really building that foundation, who's now at Marshall, um, and Dan Stratford taking over and elevating it even more, which didn't seem possible. And then now Daniel Smee will continue the uh, the good work. Yeah, Cole, I actually I had the pleasure. Yeah, it's really an incredible program. I mean, I had the pleasure of playing Charleston. Uh, back in like 2012, like right when Chris kind of started to turn it into something that was, okay. and um, I think he was there, um, and it was nuts, man. Like some of the guys they already had were so good, but they still kind of had some of their older guys who weren't as good, and we uh, we ended up losing two to one, but it, they were very good and they kind of dominated the game. Um, but yeah, we knew something was in the works for them because we were like, they are so good, and then it was crazy. Cole, like I, you know, you know, we went over to England um, with the Millersville men's team, and we were we yep. were stayed in Hall, and one of the coaches at Hall was like, "Yeah, my son, he's going over to you know the United States to play in college, and this and that." Apparently, they're very good, and we we're like, "Oh, like this is this is 2014." He's like, "Oh, like, oh, like where?" Or 13. Like, where's he going? He's like, "Oh, he's going to University of Charleston." We're like, oh God, <laughs> who is that? I don't know the kid's name, but apparently he was very good, like very very good. He was English. I must have been Jake. I reckon he was Jake Young, maybe. He uh, from West Ham, around desert, near the London area, was up north. Uh, I'm not sure where like originally he was from, but he just said like one of his sons was was going over and was just very. He was very because he didn't make it. You know, he didn't make it into the the pro game there. But he said like, yeah, he's going to Charleston to play, and I was like, he's got to be good. You know, he's got to be really good. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, we were lucky. I've got a good, a good selection of English players, Brazilian players, German, well, all over the world. It's a, yeah. it's a truly international program. Yeah. yeah. Now, how's uh, your time at Seton Hall? It's been good. It's been a, uh, it's, it's been different competitiveness wise. I mean, the Big East is is a bit of a monster. It's yeah. huge. You kind of joined it this year. Um, just to make it even a little bit tougher, obviously Georgetown national champs are in there. It's it's every game's a grind. Um, it's been brilliant. I work with a wonderful head coach, uh, Coach Lindberg, who I actually met when Charleston played LIU Post in the Elite Eight game. He was the head coach of Post, as in 2017, uh, and then he took over. And he was um, fortunate. Well, I was fortunate that he called me to come. And join the team with Jeff Mateo, who's a bit of a living legend. Uh, he's the other assistant. He's, yeah, he's a legend. Got drafted, played MLS. He's the he is the leading assists of all time in the U.S. Oh. Open Cup currently, and he still plays. And he's uh, he's one of our best players, and he's forty. Oh, that's a little bit annoying. <laughs> Pretty incredible. It is awesome. Pretty incredible. Great program. Basketball teams obviously big time, which is which is so much fun. I haven't been at a school where before where you're exposed to I didn't study here so I've never never really seen it and then to go to a Seton Hall basketball game was just 
unbelievable. The Prudential Centre, 18,000 people. It was just like, wow, this is, this is, this is college sports. This is unbelievable. Mm-hmm. Um, so needless to say, whenever we have recruits in, we take them to a basketball game if possible. Yeah, I can't imagine what that experience is like. And um, No, it sounds like a, quite the incredible journey for you so far. And um, hopefully that sort of that continues for you. So, but uh, Zach, you got a question to lead us off? Yeah. I mean, like, obviously it was a, it was a crazy run, right? Winning back to back national championships going from Charleston and then to Barry, um, you know, is that something that is, is just like a story that's just written out of heaven that you just kind of fell into, or was it something that, you know, um, you thought like, Oh, Hey, like I have a chance at another title. If I go here, you know, what was the thought process behind that change? And, you know, how did that help you in your career? And, and what did you learn through that experience? Uh, I did I feel we were going to win it. I, uh, I was arrogant enough to tell Strats that we'd see them in the final. Um, <laughs> did I necessarily believe it? I don't think so. Um, honestly, it was, it was a fairy tale. I mean, Barry, the head coach, uh, Coach McCraft, was, again, a wonderful, wonderful man, caring, good coach, just, just really, it was different, a different kind of coaching setup to what we had Charleston. Charleston had four assistants and Strats, and then uh, Barry, it was, it was me, Steve, and, and Brian. And, um, and it, was, it was amazing. The boys didn't have a great season the season before. So I just felt this urge, but I just wanted them to experience what the Charleston boys got to experience, like the final four, the dinner between the final four. And it was a festival year too, which was very cool. So yeah, it was the aim for sure. We recruited that way. We recruited hard and fast and got some very good players in. And it was definitely the goal. Um, very, but in terms of was I fortunate enough to fall in it? hundred percent. I was at two programs who were big, big programs. These aren't, these aren't small wouldn't have been like if Westchester had won it in 2018 where they had like one and a half scholarships, for example. Like these are good schools and good situations which are built to win. So I was very lucky enough to do that. And what it did for me, it elevated my career substantially. Like I came over here in 2017 knowing about two, I knew two, I think two coaches in America in college sports. I knew Strats, who was offering me their job. And I knew uh, Coach Weitz at um, Georgetown. And that was just because we hosted Georgetown at Brunel for a couple of days and I just talked his ear off for an hour and he was nice enough to tolerate me. Um, and that was it. So I came with no playing experience, no coaching experience out here, starting from scratch. So what it did for me is it opened a lot of doors for sure. Hey, Cole, real quick, fun fact yeah. about that Westchester team. Uh, they lost their conference final to none other than Millersville, baby. Let's go. Millersville. <laughs> Yep, that's yeah, that's right. That's right. On their home turf too. Um, I actually yeah. remember the game really, really well because I think that was the game like that you and me were at the Bethesda tournament recruiting, and it was freezing, and we're like, let's just get in the car and watch the game. <laughs> and we were going, nuts. yes, yes. <laughs> oh man, yeah, good times. They played Charleston that year. They played Charleston. Yeah, West they beat them. Next yeah. round. Yeah. Yeah. Which was. Yeah. Like, no, but I'm saying Millersville played Charleston in that first oh, round. I beg your pardon. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Oh, Millersville played cool. Charleston that first round that year. And, uh, yeah. Yeah. But that was the same year that Westchester made the run. 
I think so. Yeah, so, crazy. Yeah, but, it was. Uh, yeah, dude. So crazy. Like the the super region setup is nuts. Like obviously, if if my school Seton Hill, which first off, I'll, I'll preface this with, thank God for Seton Hall because Seton Hall sends me recruits all the time by accident because at Seton Hill they get mixed up all the time, and um, it's great. I, I really actually I really appreciate Division One <laughs> kids reaching out to Division Two schools. So thank you for that. Um, but that super region thing uh, for Seton Hill in Division Two, we always have to go through Charleston at some point in time, and it, it does kind of suck. But um, it's difficult now. It's obviously it's, it's always going to be difficult at that level. But um, I, I kind of want to shift to the technical stuff that you're doing now, and and how you've kind of integrated yourself in, into the New Jersey area, and um, and how impactful that's been for your career. Plus, you know, uh, in, in, into recruitment almost. I'm sure that there's connections built there for recruitment too, but um, you know, you want to kind of touch on what you're doing now with Seton Hall and the, and the technical stuff you're doing on the side? Yeah. Uh, you mean the academy player? Yeah. So me and Jack Costello started the academy player um, three years ago, almost three years ago, um, with a group of players. Uh, and the aim was just to give individual training outside of their team training. Um, it was, a, it was awesome. It, we worked with, at that point we were working with semi-pros who wanted to play in the professional game. And the aim was to come up with bespoke sessions for those players. Um, financially it was not worth it, but at that point, but it was an absolute dream to work with some of these players. I mean, like the system in England, it really does chew you up and spit you out, um, and some of these players are in non-league and they were humble and they were hungry. And yeah, it was just a pleasure to, to kind of start there. Then they did very well. Quite a few of them went on to play professionally. Word of mouth grew. Um, and it's, yeah, it's, been all, it's been really awesome. We've had, we've had some contact with some really great players who have played at the highest level. Um, some of them have gone on. Max obviously was playing uh, for Maidenhead and then Wolves bought him. And he played against Liverpool this year. Like it was it's awesome to watch their journeys. And he was good enough to give me some of his time, as I said yesterday, for a, for an interview. Um, and we stay in touch. We message all the boys all the time. They're just they're class. So it started off with that. There's a lot of technical work, a lot of ball and wall work, a lot of footwork stuff, which again has been has been beaten to death by a lot of a lot of different places, but. We really work on balance and footwork and technique and sharpness and really not trying to stay in balance at all times. So a lot of the footwork is designed to put them off balance. Um, obviously, there's no better thing than a wall. It's a, true, it's a true partner. It gives you back what you give it. So learning way to pass is the best way to use a wall. And that's, that's really our foundations there. And then we've been fortunate enough to then work the, the higher, higher level and then we'll do some more winger drills or forward drills and, and things like that. Um, I had a background in football analysis, so I was able to pull clips, analyze clips, cut video, show video, and then we designed the session based on what they do in games. Just repetition, like a golf range. I was really interested in American football and how they manage the number of reps a quarterback would take or in baseball, the pitcher. Yeah. And I was like, well, okay, left center back opens up on his back foot and plays left back. 25 30 times a game do we practice do we actually practice he actually practice that technique and drill because technique shows a lot about a player like they are expressing themselves by technique there's a lot of players who for lack of a better expression don't respect 
a 20 yard pass on the floor with no opposition around. They'll just bobble it in, yeah. which, which says a lot about that person. And they're, miss, they're missing a trick there because if they could sit down, side foot, hit through it, that's two different plays. It's the same pass, it's the same execution, but you can tell. So when we used to do scouting, you'd look for little things like that. And that's something that we tell the players. Like, you're missing opportunities to gain points here. If a scout was watching, he'd be watching this. You can, you can, you can do this to get to the next level. So that's kind of where it came from, me and Jack's expertise in that area. And it's, as I said, it's just grown. We're very lucky for the, for the support. We've got 110,000 followers now, which is very cool. Um, but yeah, it's been a privilege to be part of and, and a privilege to work with Jack on it. Yeah. So you're really looking to kind of fine-tune each player's skills. I mean, they, they have these broad skills, but you're really trying to hone in on little parts of their game to help them be successful. 100%. Yeah, 100%. And, and every player is different. I mean, every single player is different. And every single player is different who plays the same position too. And you have a different skill set. And you have to, the, key, the key fundamental part, especially when you get towards the adult game, is you need to understand your skill set. What are you good at? Yeah. And what is expected of your position? If you're a winger, you need to be able to beat a player and put the ball in the box. You need to be able to cut inside and shoot. That is fundamental. You should be practicing that on a daily basis. That is, that is a skill set. You get points every time you beat a player and put it in the box. Yeah. Now, the other parts of the game, having a nice touch, this and that, that's great. We need to work on those areas. But you need to make sure that when it's your time to shine that fullback you need to make sure that you beat that fullback and put a cross in with quality and you need to be and you need yeah. to be re- repeating that and practicing that all the time most people in my opinion fall down in soccer when they don't understand their skill set they yeah. dribble they're a target forward and they try and dribble all the time that, that's 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 yeah. not you that's not, that's not going to take you to the next level. And accepting your skill set is what you go through through childhood, right? That, who, who, what do you right. end up being? You don't know it then. You need to, just, you need to shape everything at 10, 11, 12. But eventually, you're going to, have, you're going to develop a certain skill set, work out what it is, and train that. Because that's what makes you special. Yeah. There's, no, you make so a point there. I think that's something that – go ahead, Zach. There's so many coaches that focus on the, on the things that they need to improve on and not the player's strengths. And that is, um, that's not always uh, the most beneficial thing for the player, because if you're looking at development and growth, yeah, they may get okay at that, that whatever you're trying to fix, but at the same time, you're, you're forgetting about their strengths as their strengths are getting worse then. So it's, it's hard to, to balance that if you're only focusing on the negatives. Yeah. Yeah. I had an experience when uh, I was director of coaching at a club in North Carolina called Seashore Soccer League way, way before I was qualified or deserved the right to do it. I was 20, 23 or 20, 23. And we had a thousand players, 80 coaches. And I implemented this rule about a certain number of passes before a goal and stuff like that. And there was this, there was this quote that was going around at the time, like, would you have coached the Messi out of Messi? And I believe I would have. I believe that I would have stopped him from dribbling at that point and made him pass to his teammates more. And that made me take a really long, hard look in the mirror in terms of understanding 
youth development and all of those kind of things. Because I was in a role that I was probably not educated to perform at that point. I did my best, um, but it, I was still, lear still learning, still am, still got a long way to go. But at that particular point, I was definitely a, a rookie. Um, and it was just interesting to kind of to go through that standpoint. And I actually started my PhD uh, after that because I was just really interested in, in coaching and coaching perceptions and all those kind of things. Yeah. So obviously you get that higher level player and we're really focusing like that older player. Uh, we'll say like U17 and, and on where they're, we've gotten to a point where they, we can really say, okay, this is the position that they're going to be playing in. And then here's the skill set we need to continue to develop so they're successful at that position. Now let's say like the U10 to like U14 player where they're still in that in-between stage or still trying to figure things out. What are you doing with those players to develop them and still giving them a well-rounded well technique? Well, you've said the last part, right? This, this technical work. Given no matter what position you are as the technical work, yep. you need to be good in tight spaces, comfortable on the ball, and you need to practice that a lot. And it's like medicine sometimes. You may, you may think this is a basic drill that's beneath you, but, I mean, let me tell you, we've done these, these dribbles with Premier League players, mm. and they're, oh, they're good at them because they work hard, but some of these younger players just pick it up so much quicker. So from 10 to 14, you're obviously trying to let them play as much as possible, drive, through, drive by coaching if possible, not necessarily as much yeah. stop and start. Uh, a lot of technique work, a lot of small-sided games, um, just as many touches as possible, really, and let them develop because they don't know what size yeah. they're going to be. And size matters. You know, like that does matter in terms of what position you play. Potentially, you'll get pigeonholed at some point. Um, but it's a little bit more general. And actually, it's a little harder because you've got to give them a taste of everything. They need to be doing some 1v1 attacking defending. They need to be doing some combination play and 2v1s and passing patterns and technique. And they need to do a bit of everything. So there's a, the, the youth team, the coach role then is to make sure that they're, they're doing it away from the field as well and finding out what they're doing. Like if, if they're practicing balls manipulation at home on their own right now, which every kid should be in the, in the world right now if they're interested in football, soccer, and then when their first session they come back, if that's all they've been doing for a long time, yeah, you can touch upon it, but obviously it's a very unique situation right yeah. now. But if, if they come back and the rules are, there are no rules, then they should be doing team stuff, like possession stuff, like the, the things that you can facilitate in your hour and a half. Right. There's only so much you can do in an hour and a half. That's the, the pressure of a the pressure of being a coach, right? Right. And I think that's a, that's important is that a lot of this stuff, a lot of this technical work, I think at times needs to be done outside of the normal session because when you come into a normal session, it needs to be about the team and how the team works together from a tactical standpoint so that way they can be successful going forward. And I think it's, what each of those players, their technical ability, what they bring to the game to help the team then be successful. Yeah, 100%. Uh, again, maybe at the age of 10, 11, it's, again, the tactical part, maybe, maybe not as much, a little right. bit touched upon. But, yeah, I mean, look, look at the, if you look at the opposite example, right, go to a World Cup. England, let's do England because it's my country. They, uh, they, the players get there and they're ready to go. They're, and you've got, nine, ten sessions before your first game. The pressure on those nine and ten sessions to get that team ready, think about it, that's in for the most important tournament in the world. That's 
insane pressure. So the ball skills and all that kind of stuff, they all do at the beginning. It's a nice warm-up. The tactical component then is everything. Yeah. The tactical component of running that is everything. And it's, I would say it's different when you have an under 10 because you have more year-round and the tactical part isn't as important. It, re- like it really isn't as important at that yeah. age. No, they're going to learn definitely. it. They look at league tables themselves. You don't. You can hide it from them. And obviously, US Soccer did a, a thing where they didn't have. They didn't record results. They, they record results. Yeah. <laughs> and they know which other teams are good. Like kids are smart. Yeah. So I think just preparing them as best as possible. One v one is crucial. One v one attacking and defending is crucial. That should be done every session. I, in my opinion, just even if it's just for like five ten minutes. They need to get used to 1v1s because the game is built of 11 1v1s. Yeah. I, um, yeah. I heard a quote. Well, I've seen a quote from Arsene Wenger. He says that, you know, from like ages 6 to, you know, 12 or 13 is when they kind of shape their technical skill. And he says, he says something like, if they don't have their technical skill by the time they're 13, then they'll never make it. Like to, to be a professional player, you know. Yeah, I think, again, it's a majority. I'm sure you have some examples where people develop late, right? I mean, like, didn't, didn't Deontay Wilder start boxing at, like, 20, something like that? Yeah. Like, there's, I mean, there's your unique ones, right? But, yeah, I think it's similar for tennis, too. I've heard that about tennis, that if you don't start, if you don't play tennis at such an age, then you've really, you missed, missed the boat, so to speak. A uh, little sidebar real quick. Cole, I was actually listening to Inside the 18 today. And they're talking about tennis yeah. and how the footwork of tennis is so identical to a set position in soccer and the footwork component of it is all very yep. similar to soccer and, and to goalkeeping. And I thought that was interesting. So if you haven't heard that episode, I don't know which one it is, but it's a more recent one. You should go through and listen to it. And maybe that's something we should try to branch out on with Omar Zini because um, when we talk to him, but um, he's the one who brought that up. So maybe that's something we should talk about more. And thanks for that. Just spark my brain. Yeah. But yeah, anyway, no, then, I, I, um, I was going to say the quote from Arsene Wenger then moves on to from ages 13 to 14 on to like 18 is learning the tactical side of the game, which is something that you're always teaching, I feel like, even into when they're older. So like from a recruiting standpoint, it, you know, how, how, how heavy does your technical skill go in your brain when you're looking at a recruit? Uh, it depends on the level of scholarship. Um, yeah, technically, you're, you're, you're picking up, they're nearer to the end of their development at that stage, right? 18, 19, 20, like that's, that's now they are who they're going to be. And now you're, now you're kind of working with that. So the technical standpoint's big because the technical standpoint also shows you a lot about their character. I used to do, I used to do a thing where I used to make them juggle when they were like 10, 9, 10, 11, 12, because I think that shows a lot about your character. When you start to juggle, you can't do it. You fail numerous times. So if you're able to, if you're able just to pop the ball up nine, ten times, and you've you've demonstrated discipline of some kind, self-discipline, and you've you've even in a small way you've dealt with failure. Um, and it is like riding a bike, right? Like once you can do ten, you can do twenty, and once you do twenty, you can do thirty, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So the technique part is big because that shows a lot of their character and how they influence and impact the game, um, and then. At the college level, I mean, they're people, right? They're people first. They're people who happen to be very good at soccer. I mean, that's the key aspect. And, and all youth coaches too, they're, they're children who, will, who want to play soccer first and foremost. And 
that definitely is something that I've learned in the last four, five, six years and it's relationships that matter. Um, and like I think I mentioned before, uh, the head coach here was best man at one of his players' weddings. That shows you the character of the head coach to me. That I mean, that will stay with me, and I'll remember that for the rest of my life. Like that was it. That's a massive. What what a thing that is. Yeah. You know, you, you first meet someone, and it's a coach player, and then to, it, it, I think it's just a very special thing which I enjoy bringing up. I bring it up often to recruit. I have to say. <laughs> yeah. No, and I, I love you made the comment about relationship driven, and it's. I think we're, we all realize that there's so many relationships to be built through this sport and it's beyond, it's beyond just the sport itself, the relationship piece. And I think if you can build solid relationships with your players, I, you can get so much more out of them from that standpoint too. And I think they buy in and um, everything just seems to go so much better. Yeah. I mean, Nick Caramillo, He's the uh, goalkeeper coach at Tormenta. I had the pleasure of working with him at Barry. He was the women's assistant. I was the men's assistant. Um, and I'm lucky enough, to, fortunate enough to call him a friend too. He told me that he's so passionate about, he's so passionate about how football, soccer is relationships. Like he is where he is because of those relationships. Yeah. And I, I believed it, but now I fully subscribed, so to speak. To, to it's, it's everything. I mean, Look at our situation right now. Like, who it'd be interesting to see. Interesting to see when people come back. If you think about who you've been in touch with right now, yeah. it, it, this is forced everybody to take a long, hard look. And I make sure that we speak to players, past and present, uh, as much as possible, just to check in, see how everyone's doing, because it is it is relationships. That's the best part. Yeah. The best part of the the championships and all that stuff. It's the, it's the boys. I did a Zoom call the other day with the 2018 team and just seeing their faces just selfishly makes me so happy. Like it's just make, And we could have had a losing season for... We, I mean, I wouldn't be at Seton Hall if we had a losing season, but it's, it's what matters. That, and that's what really revealed to me because I arguably had the two of the best seasons that I could possibly have as an assistant. And yeah. what, what I really remember is... I have a shirt that I've got hanging up just on the door there, which was signed by all the Barry players. Probably one of my favourite possessions of all time. Probably is my favourite possession of all time. And they've all, they all wrote messages on there. Like, means the world to me. And the trophy trophies are, are uh, an object. Like, that's everything. That's, that's meaning, you know? Yeah. Um, so going back to your academy player stuff, do you think it's been a huge boost for you to have that social media presence and, and sending, getting this stuff out there for, for players to see, especially during this time? Yeah. Yeah, I think so. It's been a boost. It's, 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 it's really cool. I mean, it's, we're, we're putting the same content out where we put when we had a hundred, when we had two followers, right. you know, like it's, it's not that it's just more people want it and will message and, and, and that kind of approach. Honestly, it's how other people perceive you, really. Uh, me and Jack are still the same guys we were three years ago, just like posting things. But now more people are interested, more people want to pay us to put stuff out, which we don't really do, and those kind of things. And more people respect it, I suppose. I guess right. that's what gives it credibility. If it's me and Jack doing like these certain drills, it's like, okay, who are these guys? Like, I'm an average player at best. Jack's good. Um, but then when they see 
like Alfie Mawson, like Max, and they see these these pros and these Arsenal and Chelsea under tens, elevens doing it. Then it's like, oh, okay, well I should be doing it. And now us, the, the drills we do it everywhere over Instagram now. Like the, the same kind of footwork stuff we do. It's that's been really cool. Yeah. That's uh, yeah, it's been exciting. And I think it's something that youth player, any player should really be taking full advantage of. I mean, that content's out there for anybody to grab and use. And, I mean, what a great resource it truly is. And it was something I don't think that three of us growing up, it wasn't out there. There wasn't, there wasn't that type of content for us to go look at and go, oh, here's some things I could be doing in my spare time in my backyard. It was not something that we had access to. So with, with YouTube becoming huge and, and social media and you putting all this um, stuff out there, I think it's truly incredible. It's truly incredible. And it's, I think, and I hope that we're going to get some amazing youth players coming through here in several years. Yeah, thank you. I hope, so. yeah, I hope so too. I mean, it's, it's, Oh, you're right. That's a, that's a, that's a, that's a really great point. I wish someone would have analysed my game and identified my skill sets and told me what to work on when I was a bit younger. I don't think it would have made a difference. I'm still pretty slow, um, but it, but it would have been it would have been interesting for sure. Um, yeah. Well, that, I think that's a great time for us just to take a little break here, and uh, we can come back in a minute and uh, continue this conversation. this has been a, a great conversation and it's been um, definitely provided a lot of insight into um, into the different skill sets of players and how to break them down and what are you finding so do you do a lot of video analysis of players to help them decipher their their skill sets and what to work on yeah it depends on which setting um, in the college setting, as you know, it's so thick and fast, it's fine tuning. It's getting everyone on the same page and it's more used for that. Um, and then towards the end and the beauty of the spring, that's when you can look at opportunities to, to really focus in on the parts of their game. I mean, there's a big one with, with centre-backs, right? When there's, when there's a goal kick, and I remember coaching as a lad called Priestley. He's a brilliant player. Pride and joy won the won the Welsh Premier League actually a couple of weeks ago, which is quite cool. Um, and he's a athletic freak of nature. Played beach football, uh, so he can just jump and just hang. His hang time is ridiculous. Six six two six three. And I remember he was getting these goal kicks, and he was going up for headers, and his timing was off. Like sometimes he would win him, and it'd be like a fifty p fifty p head to say anything, and sort of go off in a different direction or whatever. And I remember thinking like you're missing an opportunity here. Like, why aren't you winning this properly? And then I realized that we've never, ever practiced heading from a goal kick ever in my entire life. Can you imagine what that drill would look like? Just a goal kick and then a center back on his arm, just heading it. But, but when you, when you analyze center backs, they need to be good in the air. Yeah. 
And I think to myself, have I ever provided the opportunity, at this point, had I ever provided the opportunity for our centre-back to practice being good in the air? No, no, I haven't. And I'd wager most don't. So that, again, was a big part of it. Like, are you actually training them for what's required at that level? Because, again, similar to that passing thing we talked about, there's winning a header and just glancing it. And then there's winning the ball at the highest point and heading through the ball. And that's an ooh, like that's a statement. That's yeah. like a that guy's good in the air. And that's an opportunity that's there for everyone. People don't practice it. Right. And it's it, again, it's, that's that skill set thing again. Like if you're good at that, you, you again you tick a box, move on to the next one. He's good in the air. What's he like with his feet? A couple passes in. He's good with his feet. What's he like one v one defending? And you just you just move through the gears. Yeah. Wow. Man, that's so I'm curious, what what I'm curious, what drill did you do? With your center back to help that. him win goal kicks. I did that, and then I got the keeper to do it privately. Obviously, not in right. a full session. Um, and I was a center forward, and I just give him a little dig, like just to give, just a little wobble, little try and jam him a little yeah. bit. And I flipped it because I was also we had a center forward at the time who was getting creamed in the air because the center other center backs would take that opportunity to 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 put some impact on them. Yeah, and I taught him how to, to, to flex that by jumping, by, by jamming the centre-back and then following the path and jumping towards so they'd never get the opportunity to hit you. So I tried to use it as a, as a multiple kind of uh, coach and drill on that one. But yeah, we did that. We did a cold kick. I jammed him. He won it in the air. And we went again and again and again. And then I wanted to see the ball start flying that way rather than just kind of ricocheting in the air. Yeah, and, um, yeah he got a lot better at it. He's, he's, he's a yeah, very good player. But again, you know, you're talking about it's practicing that. He was 20 doing that. And he'd never practiced it before. Wow. Wow. So he picked it up. Yeah. It's, a, it's amazing all these little things that when you really think about it, that we're not working on with our players that could help them be so much more successful. Yeah. And if those ones aren't, that's not a sexy thing to do. Right, like if you did that, that session, parents would walk past and be like, "What are you, what are you doing?" Like that's insane. Like I remember on that point, like those kind of who was it? Is it? A, I won't name his name just because you know when you guys are famous, this will come back round. But there's an English <laughs> footballer who played in the Prem, yeah. played for England twenty one. He played in the champ. Sorry, he played in the conference, League Two, League One, champ, Prem, England twenty ones. And he came and he named a couple of the other England players and just said that the, the art of defending is not taught. He was like, in the academies, it's all about playing out from the back, centre-back split, pass, pass, pass at all costs. They're not doing, okay, defend, defend a header against a six-foot striker who's jamming you or the 1v1 last-ditch defending in the box. Those bits which are crucial, you need both. But it was interesting to hear him say, like, the, the art of it's not taught anymore. Like, in England, you learn it in non-league because non-league's ugly. <laughs> it hurts. Like, it's, it's, you learn yeah. a lot of how to protect yourself from windows. And, and it's kind of interesting because you expect, again, you expect a centre-back to be good yeah. in the air. You, and I, but how, how many times have you whacked a ball up and said, go on, try and get that at the highest yeah. point? Yeah, it's not something that we... Uh... It's not something we think about and, and, and do often at all. Um, it's but it's something I think that could be 
crucial to a player's success. Yeah, especially later. Especially late, later. When once, once they're okay, this, okay, you're going to be a centre back. Okay, now we need to start looking at some of the bits which you might not enjoy. Yeah. <laughs> it might not. Be, this might not be a fun drill for you because you're going to kind of get jammed. But we had a player at Charleston. Uh, he's the UConn captain now, Robin Lepur. Wonderful young man. He uh, loves heading. I've never seen anything like it. Loves heading. He he goes up and wins it at the highest point, and he does this French grunt, and he is he loves it. And you can tell he practices that day in day out, and it's a trademark for him. And he got and it's it stands out. Yeah. Cole, I think that's something no, that we struggle with on the women's side a lot more than the men do. I think the women are like, ah, I don't want to head that. I'm going to let that bounce. I fight that a lot. Yeah. You know, I, I, I know I struggle right. not only coaching it, but at the same time, like convincing them that it's a necessity to go up and head the ball. Yeah. And when you can find that one female player that wants to head the ball and is, gonna, is willing to go up and be strong and just get through it, they stand you out. Found, they stand out instantly. Oh my gosh! Yeah, she, immediately. Oh. I mean, I, I've I know I've walked up the field several times, and you see, I don't know, a center defensive mid in the middle of the field, and off a goal kick, just steps up over a center forward and just wins a ball. And it's like, that's the girl I want right there. That that's the one I want on my team because she just has something different. She has the ability and. I think it's the grit at times just to want to want to get after it. Yeah, and that's the same. It's the same. It's exactly the same thing in the men's. Yeah. Exactly. And, and it's, but maybe you have, maybe you're, maybe there's two people who really want it, who want to head it. But that one person who just displays that superiority yeah. in that moment, it's like instant. Same thing in, in that moment. You're like, yeah, that's the one. That, that, <laughs> when the ball's in the air, he's going to win it. I like it when they win headers. Yeah. Not that we should be talking about headers the whole time, but yeah, um, well, yeah, it's it's, it's definitely an interesting, interesting. Yeah, I mean, if you think about it, yeah. though, it, it's just like a goalkeeper that can go up and win the ball out of the air, right? It's the same type of presence. Yep. Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah, definitely. You, 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 yeah, you need that. You've had a, a massive blanket for the coach too. That feeling of safety. Yeah. That's another point. It's, it's, it's a position. So I, I'm. When I spoke to Max, I asked him a question. I'm sure he won't mind me sharing. And I asked him, um, what would you do to bring more fun to your game? Max is a centre-back at Wolves. And his answer was truly breathtaking. His answer was, I'd be a striker. Because strikers can lose the ball. And it's not a big deal. But centre-backs lose the ball and it's a goal. Keepers the same. It's, yeah. it's a different mindset. Same sport, same game completely different mindsets in those yeah. positions stop you stop things or you make things happen right it's I've, I've, i was blown away by his answer i never kind of put the two and two together to think that there's a completely different mentality to these yeah positions yeah. one of the things i value i think is that a forward defends right away kind of what you're describing like one of the things i look for in recruiting is can they switch on right away to defending transition quickly to defend and defend far, as far as we can up the field. Um, that's something I always look for out of a forward because, um, you know, there's two sides of the ball, right? There's offense and defense. And if they're only going to play one half of the game, I mean, they're just not as impactful as I'd like them to be. Yeah, 100%. 100%. Oh, and, and again, knowing your skill set, if you're not that mobile and you can't defend, 
then you need to be that extra bit better on the other side of the ball. Like uh, the, 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 it's the luxury player quote. Like if you're going to be the 10 who doesn't run around as much and graft and tackle and that kind of stuff, then you need to be special on the ball. That's why whenever people have tryouts and they're like, oh, I play 10. You're like, do you play anywhere else? They're like, no, just 10. You're like, okay, good luck, because you've just put the bar right up here. <laughs> yeah. Right. Stay to mid. Just stay sent to mid. Don't say 10. <laughs> yeah. 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 Well, Zach, what do you think? We can pretty much wrap this up here, but let's finish off with one last question. Ali, what would you say to the youth player, we'll, we'll say U16 and up, that is, working, that is working hard to make it at the next level. What would you tell that player to either do to help their development or from a mentality standpoint, what is something you would tell that player? One piece of advice. You need to be able to take feedback and it's not going to be pretty at times because you're going to need to find out what parts of your game are and aren't good enough and you need to be able to put yourself on the line. I did it when I was 13 years old. I went and asked a coach before I was good enough to play uh, um, a professional club and he told me, he said, at the moment, no, you're not quick enough. Your touches and right, just just laid it to me, and I was in bits, in bits for days and days and days. And then I went and worked on it, and I I got signed by that club a couple of years later. But I was so nervous to ask that question because it's such a vulnerable question. Like, yeah. okay, this is me, this is my ability. What do you think? Please don't sugarcoat it because I need I need that honest feedback. Um, is what I would say. And to, and to coaches and parents and stuff like that, and my, my one bit of advice which I've learned in sports like a lot is when they come back from games and stuff uh, and trainings, not to ask if they've won, not to ask how many goals they scored and just kind of have a bit more of a focus on did you enjoy it? What did you learn? What did you do well? Because I've seen it. I've seen it in youth and I've seen children growing up with, with some people who do that and you become very centred on, if I didn't score, I didn't play well today. And it's like, well, no, that's, that's not true. Yeah. Like, that's one moment. Um, so that would be my one to parents, stuff like that, is just to ask questions. I was very lucky. My dad drove me around the whole of England to find a club that would actually sign me. <laughs> and, um, and then he took me to those training sessions and I would have to almost beg him to ask me, how did I do today? Because he, 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 he would never impose and say, that's not good enough. You're not good enough. You didn't score enough. I was so lucky. I didn't even realize it until, I, until years and years later that I had someone that was, was teaching me. Like, he was like, what do you think? Like, did you enjoy it? What, and that's what I would encourage both sides of it to do. Yeah. Player, take the feedback parent or coach give it parent ask ask the other questions ask ask the questions about the fun and what you learn and, and shaping questions rather than making winning and goals the be all and end all or how many goals did you concede as a keeper for example yeah. are you clean sheet great but i um Zach. 
Yeah, I um, I've done a lot of reading in those last couple of years to, you know, help educate me to be to be a head coach at the at the Division Two level. And one of the things that I've really stumbled upon that I've really been intrigued by um, is uh, is is Brett Ledbetter, who who writes the What Drives Winning books and does all those presentations. And one of the things that he really hits on is you can't tie your identity to the result. And that's kind of what you just said. And I, I love that point yeah. because if you tie your, your identity to you, the results instead of the process of becoming who you want to become or the process just in general, it's interesting to see like when the results go bad, you feel bad, right? You feel bad about yourself when you lose a game. But in my mind, if you performed well in the team loss, well then you should feel good. Like you should, it's okay to feel good about putting in a solid performance, but it shouldn't make you feel any less of yourself. And I think, you know, when, like what you described, Ali, is like when parents are only tying the result to, well, how did it go today? Is just, Oh, did you win or lose? I, I think that's what starts to drive that identity equals result. And I, and I think we got to get away from that as much as possible. Um, I was not on the good end of that as a kid. You know, my dad was really hard on me about results, period. Results is all that matters. It's very black or white. And that's, but soccer's always played in the gray. And I, and I think that really messed with me until I got older. So that was one thing that I think absolutely held me back. So, yeah. Well, I actually have two, two examples which I think you might find interesting. One, I, uh, I was lucky enough to have a study published with my, thesis um, advisor about golf and it was about self-efficacy in golf so your belief in your ability and what they did what we did was they asked the players before and after about their ability to hit a ball dead straight zero to ten like our scale um, there's about 25 30 questions and then the golfers went out and played the round and then they asked them the same questions before and after. And they had, it was, it was a lot more in depth than that. Like they factored in handicap, but that's the, that's the, the nuts and bolts of it, right? And what the results said was that the ones who played well, comparable to their handicap, rated themselves higher than before. And if you think about that, this is exactly what you're talking about. Nothing's changed. So if someone says to me, are you good at passing? And then I have a bad game. I give myself a six. And then they say, oh, I had a bad game. I gave the ball away a lot. Rate yourself out of passing. I'm like, oh, I'm a four. You've been playing this sport for 15 years. Nothing changed in the last two hours. And if it did, your core values, your core assessment, you're looking at the game all wrong. And that was evident. I worked for a betting company. Uh, It's kind of like um, predicted goals. Um, not predictive what's it called in the, nowadays where they do that little stat of like based on your chances it's like 1.7 or it's like, it's like predicted goals yeah. uh, or that but we had that nine, seven, five, six years ago and what it shows was that if you create more high quality chances then you're more often than not you're going to win right so the example was Chelsea buying buying battered Chelsea in that final and nine Times out of 10, Bayern win that game. Chelsea won it. Chelsea win the Champions League. That's all that anyone remembers. But the model shows that Bayern destroyed them in that game. And I, when I became a head coach at my alma mater, completely bought this system that if we play well and we create more high-quality chances, then we have done our jobs. And that is, that is the measuring stick that we're going to go by. 
and we played a game against Brighton and we lost 1-0 in extra time and it's the best game we've played. We must have had 30 shots, we hit the bar twice. One of them hit, one of those ones where it hits the bar and it bounces down and then goes down. And we lost an extra time. And the boys were gutted in the changing room, like absolutely gutted. And I didn't hide it. I was like, I could not be more proud of the way you played. And the captain at the time, Parks, which he came to Barry later, he was like, well, we just lost. And I got a little bit of a bite back. And I said to them, and again, I wasn't as potentially well-spoken as I'm getting better at now. But I said to them, hang on a second. This is the difference between you saying we played well and we didn't. This is half an inch because if that shot didn't hit the t- underside of the bar and went in, we'd all be celebrating right now and you'd be saying that's the best game we've had all year. But because of this, in a 90-minute game, this one moment, we didn't play well. That's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. And results hide a lot of things is what I've, what I've learned. And I've, that was a testing moment for me because I stood by my morals. I was like, okay, we actually did play well. I'm disappointed. I'm disappointed for them that they don't get the feeling of winning. I don't need it for myself. I'm disappointed with the players didn't get that feeling. But from a collective standpoint of what we went to deliver from a game plan, we executed excellently. And I'm pleased with the yeah. way we played. No, that's, that's incredible. And I think that's a great way to look at the game. And I think it's, it's incredible for young players and, then, and parents and coaches, something for them to pick up on. and. Um, help help people be successful within the sport so Ali thank you for uh for joining us today and where where can people follow you on social Uh, media the academy player Instagram uh the acad player Twitter we even toured around with a TikTok account we'll see how that goes (laughs) yeah and uh they're the the main places awesome thank you very much for having me thoroughly thoroughly enjoyed it um And wish you both health and hopefully great seasons coming up in the fall. Appreciate it. So make sure to check Ali out on the Academy Player on Instagram and Twitter. Some great content on there for for players to check out. Um, Zach, as always, thank you. Ali, thank you again. And thanks for joining us on this episode of Supposition. Supposition.